Welcome back into The Mental Game. I'm your host, Brandon Seho, and this week's guest is a bucket list one for me. It is legendary journalist Chris Hansen. You all know him best from Dateline NBC's To Catch a Predator, but he is an amazing investigative journalist that's been doing it for, I think, four decades now, and this was an awesome interview for me. Chris and I, I got to ask him his famous line to have a seat in Times Square in New York City where we shot this episode, but Chris talks about his long journalism career, all the investigations he's done. Obviously, we dive a lot into the To Catch a Predator series and also the new show he's doing on True Blue and just all of the Predator series and investigations he's done over his long, long successful career. It's really interesting to get the insight from him as he has been face-to-face with dozens, if not hundreds, of child predators. And we talk a lot about mental health, giving advice to parents for what they should tell their kids or what they should look out for on the internet with all these different dating apps and social media platforms. So like I said, this was an amazing conversation with a bucket list guest for me. So without further ado here on The Mental Game, here is Chris Hansen. Welcome back into The Mental Game. As you can see, I'm joined by a very special guest, Chris Hansen, formerly of To Catch a Predator, now Takedown with Chris Hansen on True Blue. Chris, I appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, it's going to be a really fun conversation. We are at Times Square here in New York City, and you've been really busy with work. You guys launched this new show, what, about a year ago? We did. So we have Takedown with Chris Hansen, which is the new Predator mm-hmm. series, the investigations on True Blue which is our new streaming crime network, which gotcha. we launched about four months ago. Yeah, the, the uh, reception and the viewership looks like it has been out of this world so far. Obviously, you have a long history in this space. We'll get into all that here on the episode. But first thing I ask everyone is, what does mental health mean to you? And people answer it in a variation of ways, whether it's something they discovered at a younger age or maybe more recent in life, or there was a traumatic event that, that made that mental health awareness come to the forefront for them. But I ask you the same thing. What does mental health mean to you? Mental health to me means being honest with yourself mm-hmm. about your emotions, your feelings. And again, you know, honesty without compassion and understanding is just sort of being somewhat brutal. Right. So you need to measure what you do every day in your relationships and to be honest with yourself about what you need to yeah. be healthy. Your mental health is just as important as your physical health. For, for you, you always knew that you wanted to be a journalist, from my understanding, young age, 14, 15, kind of the same story as me, as you just, you picked it up and you're like, all right, this is what I wanted to do. What, what attracted you to journalism? I'm very fortunate, very blessed to have figured out something I think I do pretty well, yeah. you know. Over the I'll years. agree. I think you do okay. <laughs> you do okay. You know, 40, 40 years or so, you start to figure it out. You yeah. Know? But um, I grew up about a mile and a half from where Jimmy Hoffa mm-hmm the Teamsters president at one time was last seen and presumably kidnapped. And so yeah. I used to ride my bike up there at the age of 14, 15 years old. And I was fascinated by the whole story and yeah. the cops and the FBI and the reporters, the yeah. television news reporters from the networks and the local stations. So I kind of got bit by the bug then. And yeah. when I went off to Michigan state university, I, you know, on day one, I went and signed up for the, you know, the campus radio news network, yep. the Michigan state radio network. And it started. You, um, yeah, you bounced around, you've done the, the local TV thing all the way up to NBC. And now we said you're at true blue. Walk me through that career as 
a young, hungry journalist. I think you started, did you start in Lansing? Is that right? I did start in Lansing. So in those days, you know, it was 1981, um, which is when I graduated from Michigan State. But um, I was working in radio mm-hmm. for WJIM, and they had TV as well as CBS. Gotcha, well. okay. And so they're right next to each other. So in the evenings, I would go over and help the anchor, Howard yeah. Lancor, God bless his soul, wonderful human being, and a great mentor, write copy. Okay. And so he got a job at the NBC station, uh, not just being the main anchor, but being the news director. And I took him out, you know, one night, and we had about 20 scotches, and I convinced him (laughs) at Wynn Schuler's in in East Lansing, Michigan, I convinced him to hire me part-time. I said, if I'm horrible, you can fire me. It costs you $4.90 an hour, which is what (laughs) I made in that first job. And so he said, all right, good, get going. And so I I did it, and I covered every city council meeting. Yep fire and breaking news story there was for four ninety an hour part-time the second half of my senior year so when I graduated he graciously hired me full-time and I became the five-day-a-week reporter covering the state capitol and I anchored mm-hmm. the news on Saturdays yep and you went from from there to is it Tampa then Tampa, back to Detroit Tampa uh, for a couple years couple two and a half years and, and that was a wonderful experience because yeah we really got to see I got to see a big chunk of the world in okay. Tampa. We got to cover riots in Miami. They put us in Central America when the main mm. network news correspondents were off on vacation. Yeah. So we saw a lot, and I got to know Don Brown, who was then the uh, Miami bureau chief, mm-hmm. who later became vice president of NBC News, and that's wow. how I got to NBC. That's what I was going to ask you. The, the grind of local TV and, and bouncing around, moving to different cities. You're, you're born in Chicago, from Michigan, but you get to work in your home state, I'm oh, sure yeah. that had to be a really cool thing. That was a dream come on. true. My entire goal in life was to be a street reporter for Channel 7 Action News yeah. under the anchor Bill Bonds. I mean, yeah. that was it. What right. more could you possibly want out of life yeah. than to make a decent salary and be on Channel 7 every night? Yeah. And that's where I got to go after Tampa. That's incredible. And that's the cool thing for me, as I told you before we started rolling, a lot of listeners know this, grew up in Cincinnati, sure. bounced around, got to go back cover my favorite teams as a sports reporter, reporting on the Bengals, Reds, University of Cincinnati, all that jazz. It's a super rewarding thing, but the grind of it, like, can you walk me back? Because it was a different time, and I'm not trying to, to age you on this. No, I mean, it's, it's but, pub, public record. But, but I mean, you're, you're, this, is, this is tape. This is no social media. No, this is no social a, media. A complete, no there's tape. only a 6 and an 11. Yeah. Like, we didn't even, when I started at Channel 7, we didn't even have a noon. Because it was an ABC O and O, so yeah. they, you know, network programming rode right through till five, six, and eleven. Yeah, and so that's what we had. And I watched that evolution. We had live trucks, obviously, right. and um, it was a, an incredible experience to work for Channel Seven, that ABC O and O, in the seventh largest market in America at that time. And, right, and it was great. It was Detroit was so competitive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was we didn't just try to beat the other TV yeah. stations. We tried to beat the newspaper. Yeah, and it was super competitive, and you wanted every day you went out there. I did. Yeah, wanting your competition to fear you. That's how competitive it was. I think local media is still very competitive, but not like it used to be. It was. Where... It, was it was. It was great. I mean, it was. It, it, and, and I think my competitors would say the same thing. It was. <laughs> it was great fun, and you know, I think it's a little less so today with cooperation. But I remember we were covering a major story on yeah. a child killer who had escaped to Florida, and and. We had to get the story back, and so there weren't satellite trucks just yet. They were about to, you know, develop. But there was right. a sta- satellite station in Marion County, Florida. Okay. And it was so competitive that 
my executive producer in Detroit bought all the satellite time from 4 p.m. until midnight so the competition couldn't get their stuff out. And That's the awesome. other reporters who, you know, I was friendly with. Right. Came to me and said, hey, can you, I don't know how, it works. you know, now this, everything's yeah. brokered, everything is shared and everybody said, you know, have some competition, you know, let the other guys right. at least get their material out. You can yeah. try and beat them. But I mean, that's how competitive it was in those days. Sure. And the field's super competitive too. And so for you to be able to make it all the way up to NBC and become a, a huge figure in, in news nationally and around the world, I'm sure had to be a dream come true for you, but absolutely. But, but were there times where you wanted to, to give up or there were times where it was tough in those first few years, getting, getting your breaks or getting back to Michigan, getting to Tampa? Yeah. And again, I have no complaints yeah. and I've had a blessed career internally. Obviously you, you have difficult moments. You right. have, uh, questions about, you know, how much is too much in terms of what you put into work. But I, I never really looked back. I never second-guessed it. And mm-hmm. I guess I'm very fortunate in that way because I, I never really had any crisis of conscience about okay. it. You know, and maybe I just never analyzed it too deeply. Yeah. You know, people ask me all the time, do you ever go to therapy? Do you, do you, do you, you know, talk to somebody about all the dark things you've seen? And, and I do talk to people. I, I've never really formally done therapy, but I have a whole network of people yeah. to whom I speak, which essentially for me mm-hmm. in my unique individual situation accomplishes that same goal. Yeah. I have outlets for it. And that's what you need to do. That's what I was going to ask because, and I was going to get into this a little bit, but you touched on therapy. So you, have you ever gone to therapy? Have, have you considered it? Or have you had that network of family, friends, people that are in the business that you can vent to and it, that's good enough for you? Because everyone's answer is different. It's a very individual specific right. need and, and mental health is that way. And formally, no. And I want to be very clear that I think it's a very great option. Mm-hmm. I, on my podcast, uh, one of the mental health providers is a sponsor. Yeah. And, and I encourage it. And especially today where you can do remote right. therapy yeah. and you can talk to somebody. Yeah. And let them see your picture or not. Mm-hmm. Do video or sound. I think it's essential, especially for young people today who face a myriad of pressures that we didn't face. Social media, you know, uh, we're doing a big documentary for True Blue on sextortion. All these things, mm-hmm. if these kids would take a minute and talk to somebody about it and realize it's not that bad. Right. I mean, therapy is really, really important for a lot of people. I agree. And, it's and saved, I'm an advocate. Yeah, and it saved my life. And I think the thing I try to remind everyone that watches or listens to this show or when I see them out is that everything is temporary. Those feelings, the, sh- the bullshit you go through, it is all temporary. Look, we've, we've all, sadly, by the, I don't know if you have or not, but by the time you get to my age, you'll have lost, you know, statistically, somebody you know. Right through suicide mm-hmm. and it's heart wrenching and, and you, you wrestle with uh, how does this person do that? One, one minute they're a network executive helping your kid out with something and the other minute they're, wait, what? Right. They're gone. And for what at the end of the day? For what? Yeah. And a lot of people go, oh, I had no idea or they didn't. And it's, that's why you, that's I've been, why I I've been shocked this. more than a handful of times by people I know who've done it and, and you can't explain it. It's very frustrating. There's often no rhyme or reason, except for the fact that if this person had gotten help and gotten right. through that 30 minutes or three hours where they were despondent and, and contemplating taking their own life, mm-hmm. they'd be past it. Yep. And we'd not be having that discussion about those individuals. Right. No, it's super sad. And I, I think 
obviously the, the place I checked in in Cincinnati and then like my mom, I just couldn't imagine my mom not having, you know, going through the death of a child oh. that would literally oh. kill her. Oh. And so those were the things that, that helped me get through that, those tough times about a year ago or a little over a year ago. Um, I want to get into NBC now. Sure. You get the call to uh, go to NBC and, and this, like I said before, has to be a dream come true for you. Walk me through the, the emotions of getting brought on and then seeing, seeing the rise. Cause you came on early and, and Dateline and to catch predator. That wasn't like, Not that wasn't on the radar. Way yet. later. No, it wasn't. I mean, I actually came the first office. The first offer was to go to London Oh, wow. Okay. Right there. That, and yeah. they rescinded that because of budget cuts after the first Iraq war in 1991. Yeah. 93, they came back and said, look, we're doing this other news magazine, not Dateline, but another one. Right. Because that was all the craze then. And we want you to be a correspondent on it. So my first job was with Now, which was a short-lived news magazine on Wednesday nights at 9. The executive producer was Jeff Sucker, and mm -hmm. then Katie Kirk and Tom Brokaw anchored okay. it. So we yep. did that for a year, and they merged that all into Dateline, and so I just moved right over to Dateline. Right, and I think it's crazy to me to look back at, at your resume and everything that you've done because you've covered wars. Uh, I think you're part of the 9-11 coverage. Yep. There's a lot of things that you mentioned before we started rolling. You've won 10 Emmys, and was it right that none of them involved to catch a predator? No, nominated for the very first to catch a predator. Yeah, but it, it 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 kind of bothered some people in the old school network of Scarlet Jade journalists that right. we would do something that was so uh, out there, different. I suppose it yeah. was intimidating, and you know, some old timers said, "Well, you're working too closely with the police," and blah blah blah, and this and that thing. And I, I said, "Look, this is what we have to do." to capture the commission of a felony and to take uh, our viewers into this world to understand what a predator's mind right. is like and to better protect their children from becoming predators. And we still do it today. We've evolved, mm -hmm. but it's still an important mission of mine. When, when NBC and Dateline came to you with this project to catch predators, it was supposed to be a one-off. And what were your first thoughts? Well, actually, I worried? went to them with it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. okay. So what happened was I became aware of this online watchdog group, yeah. Word of Justice. And at the time, they had, you know, contributors mm -hmm. who would pose as kids online. And if they proposed meeting a child for sex, they would post that person's identity on their website. Right. And they embarrass them and expose them and, you know, uh, try to dissuade others from doing the same thing. Right. And I thought if we could use their expertise as decoys online and combine yep. it with our ability to wire a house with hidden cameras and microphones, yeah. it could be compelling. So I pitched it and I said, okay, do it. And so we run a house in Bethpage, Long Island. Yeah. We didn't partner with law enforcement in those first two right. investigations there and later in, in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if anybody's going to show up. I mean, yeah. I'm thinking, what if I've just wasted Dude. tens of thousands of dollars right. of the network's money? And with, in minutes, as I'm driving out there, my producer calls me on the cell phone and says, where the hell are you? We've got two guys scheduled in 45 minutes. And <laughs> before the end of the two and a half days, 17 guys surfaced, including a New York City firefighter. And I thought, oh, my God. Did you know, that shock you? Yes. It's when you watch the show and, and you're someone that is, you, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but you are the show. I mean, you've been there. There's a lot well, of hardworking people behind the scenes, whether it be absolutely. cameraman, it, audio, producers, yeah. law enforcement. But you have there's one of one view from your seat in that show. What was it? Was it like those first few episodes, watching these men walk in and having that conversation? Well, with the, the the first 
you know, investigation. I was just trying to keep my, you know, heart out of my throat and in my chest. Yeah. And the guy comes in and I confront him and I've got the transcripts and he leaves. And, you know, we've got security there. Ron Knight, my security yeah. guy, was there from NBC at the time. And, and uh, so we felt pretty protected. But he leaves. Another guy shows up. Do it again. Third guy shows up. And now the transcripts of the chats are all mixed together on the dining room table. Again, yeah. the first time we did it, we didn't have the system done. Right. So I walk out with the wrong set of transcripts. And I say to the guy, it says, here, you want to do this with the 12-year-old? No, it's not me. Go back. Second one, still wrong. Third one, well, 14-year-old girl named Beth. Yeah, that's me. Okay. And we start the <sighs> conversation. But it was crazy yeah. behind the scenes. And so we had a much more organized approach when we did the second investigation in Herndon, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And some of those cases were, in fact, prosecuted, even though we didn't collaborate with law enforcement. Right. And then by the third one, we had the opportunity to work with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. Mm -hmm. And we made the decision that it was socially responsible not to work with law enforcement because you need to ensure that these prosecutions take place. Right. And also just purely from a television production standpoint, it was unfulfilling for the viewer to see these guys just go off into the wind. Right. Well, they don't, you know, wherever they go and they know that that's the, I, I think you learn a lot watching to catch a predator. Like as someone like me, that's not in law enforcement or doesn't know how everything works and learning, uh, we're going to get into the mental health side of it in just a second, but just learning what these guys do and what it's, what is wrong, the different things that they can get in trouble for and the show's success. Like, did you know, when did you know that, that this was going to be something that was going to stick around more than just a one-off? Well, after the first one aired, and again, we shot the very first uh, investigation in February of 2004, it didn't air until September. Okay. And Quite honestly, looking back, I think the network executives were nervous about it. Oh, said, yeah. What do we got here? How do we promote this? What do we do? And finally, in exasperation, I had a very clear conversation with a team of executives. And yeah. It aired shortly thereafter. And, you know, predictably, it got a lot of attention. And, and so we did it. And then we got busy with some other things. And we decided to do it again. Mm -hmm. And this time, it really got attention. We had a guy who was a rabbi show up, a guy who walked in naked, a guy who was a military intelligence officer. We had a teacher, mm -hmm. special education teacher. Yep. And so, oh my God, all these characters. And they all wanted to have sex with a child. And so by the time we did it a third time, 51 guys showed up in three days. So then it was, you know, all of a sudden, you know, people were really paying attention to this. Right. But regardless of how much attention it got, guys kept showing up. Guys still show up 19 years later. We have an episode that will drop on the day of this recording, yeah, uh, a 54-year-old guy on True Blue uh, who admitted to me after driving from Chicago to Dayton, Ohio, that he had done this before with teenage girls. And he shows up with a backpack that has condoms, lubricant, spermicide, um, day-after pills, and a vape pen. And he's, it's, a, it's a sex kit to, to have sex oh with, God. A, with a child. And, and he specifically talked about instances where he had done this before, knew exactly who I was, that... and, and continued to talk. It's, it's just it's shocking to me. But what it tells me is, in spite of the increased awareness that I think the Predator series has, has achieved, the internet has exploded in terms of social mm -hmm. media platforms. Right. And it's, 
there are more platforms upon which a, an adult can approach a child than ever before. And Correct. it's not going away. Right. So the, the awareness is there. It's increased vastly, but the opportunity has also exponentially increased. So it's not going away. Right. So you need to create this wall of protection informationally around your children. And you need to explain to them from the very first moments they're online that there are adults out there who want to trick you. Right. And you need to monitor and continue this discussion. Have you felt like over the years that you have raised a ton of awareness for this and I think it's brought it to, to public. There's been groups like Perverted Justice and other ones that on their own have probably tried to speak at schools or, or tried to raise awareness on their own, but having a network behind it and having a, a public figure like yourself who has done that and has, has experience with you know, taking down these predators, I think it just brings more awareness. But like you said, it's still a problem that is, it, it shocks me like watching your new stuff now, where like you said, somebody will come on to take down with Chris Hansen and it's, they know exactly who you are when you walk out. Or when, it, it's it goes even, even further than that in that many times in the chats, yeah, they will ask. say, is this a Chris Hansen deal? Or they may name the local sheriff where we're working who happens to be proactive in this field. I mean, whether it's Grady Judd in Polk County or Chris Swanson in Genesee County or, you know, any of the sheriffs we work with. Right. You know, these guys know it, but they, they, people always say to me, they say, God, they must be stupid. They must be dumb. How could they fall for this, these idiots? They're not. They're smart. They talk about the risk of getting caught in specific detail. Mm -hmm. I could go to jail for this. You're too young. I really want this. But what it tells me, and again, I'm not a therapist, but what it tells me is that the urge for some people to have sex with a minor, with a child, mm -hmm is so strong that they can't control it. Yeah. And they show up in, 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 in spite of all the potential danger to them. I was going to ask you about the mental health side of what you witness. Is there, do you talk to therapists, psychiatrists, doctors about sure. what you're experiencing and what these, what, I hate to phrase it in the way of what's wrong with them, but there is obviously something wrong with the people that show up to these houses to try to engage in sex acts with kids. Do you, what do they, what do the professionals tell you about these well, mental I, health I th issues? I think there is a lot of very important work going on in this space. And I've talked to a number of therapists mm -hmm. and psychiatrists over the years who deal with these guys and, and will talk about how close to offending many of these guys come, but they don't. Uh, I got a letter to the, uh, Predators I've Caught podcast yeah. uh, a few weeks ago from a guy saying, you know, I am predisposed to this activity, but because of therapy, partly because I watched your show over the years, mm -hmm. I have made a promise to myself that I'll never be one of those guys that I've never offended, but thank you for doing it. And I think they break down into three categories. Again, I'm not a therapist, but based upon what I've seen over 19 years, you've got the hardcore heavy hitters. For whatever reason, they're wired that way. They were abused as a child themselves. They will offend no matter what. Right. Got to be locked up. Mm -hmm. That's a third of them. The other third are young opportunists. Yeah. Feel that they can get away with this because, you know, she's only 13, 14, but... I'm 19, 20, 21. Right. At some point, it'll catch up. Who's going to know? And then you've got this more fascinating, vexing category in the middle, the professional, the doctor, the lawyer, mm -hmm. the middle-aged man who knows it's wrong and wouldn't be doing this without the internet, the 24-7 access, the right. addictive quality, and the anonymity. People start saying things 
that they wouldn't say face to face. Right. And that's historically one of the issues with the internet. Mm -hmm. And, and you get these guys who get themselves worked up to the point where they can't see the line between fantasy and reality and they offend. And, and that's the more vexing issue. Some of these guys can get treatment and punishment and never offend again. And I see that when I go back to the previous cases in yeah. the podcast. The vast majority of these guys, as far as we can tell, don't reoffend. Some do. We caught a guy in the latest thing in Ohio. Two weeks later, he's in a different county getting arrested for having sex with a minor. Two weeks. That is insane. After being confronted by me with a camera and the crew. Montgomery County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, with the camera crew, with police. Yeah, the whole thing. And two weeks later, he's arrested again in a different county, neighboring county. And that just shows you, one, how, how, how big of a problem this is. I'm sure it has to be, I don't know if rewarding is the right word, but rewarding for you when you see these predators taken into custody or you know that this isn't a real thing, that this was a decoy. That, has that been something that has been rewarding for you Absolutely. taking pride yeah. in your work? No, I, I think it, it's the most important thing we've done is, is raise awareness and create a dialogue that hasn't uh, existed before. And I also think that you know, journalistically, the lesson is that enterprise reporting using techniques like hidden cameras and microphones and, and embedding and collaborating sometimes with law enforcement allows us to take people into a world they wouldn't normally see. They hear things they wouldn't normally hear. They see things they wouldn't normally see. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's very compelling television. Have you, when you're standing there and, and you get into this conversation and you see men that, that start breaking down and they have so many different issues, including this attraction to young kids, do you, are there a part of, of you that, that, just the human emotion element feels bad when they're talking about how terrible their life is or what's going on. I don't take any pleasure into seeing somebody's life, you know, get destroyed right. in front of cameras. I, do they deserve it? Of course they do. Right. But it doesn't give me any pleasure or glee. I, I think it gives me some satisfaction that a bad guy has been exposed, that that person may get treatment or will get punishment that will prevent them from offending again. Yeah, that's very yeah. rewarding. But from a human level, it's disturbing still. But I think it's a necessary part of our portfolio at True Blue, and, and we will continue to do it. I want to ask you about a, a situation that combines to catch predator and mental health with, it was in, I believe it was in Texas with mm -hmm. an assistant district attorney who you guys had tried to get to the sting house, and then the police were going to his house the next day, and he ended up dying by suicide. When something happens like that, that that's involving your work and your show, how, how does that affect your mental health? How do you wrap your, your, your mind around that situation? It was shocking. It was horrible. You never want to see that happen. Uh, but when you dig a little deeper in this case, yeah. you can see why it happened. Nobody wanted that to happen. Right. But you had an assistant district attorney who, as it turned out, we later found had multiple images of child pornography on his computer mm -hmm. before he decided to take his own life as police were going to arrest him for his activity online the evening before yeah. the sting operation. He was trying to get this hard drive out and couldn't do it. And the police came in and said, guys, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you, and, and shot himself in the head. Now, later we find out not only was there the child pornography mm -hmm. for which he could have spent right. many years in prison, there was evidence on that computer that was recovered that led to 
the prosecution of the assistant district attorney's boss, the actually elected district attorney, wow. and based upon the information that was on that laptop, the DA went to federal prison. Wow. And so there, it's a much more detailed, corrupt story. Right. And so, you know, the assistant district attorney knew this mm-hmm. and knew he was in trouble for the child porn. He knew he could be in trouble for the information yeah. detailing the corruption of his boss yep. in office. So, you know, we happened to catch somebody who was dirty on a couple different levels. Wow. That is, um, it is just crazy to, to think about how many levels there are to everything. Um, the pop culture part of this where you instantly become a household name from the to catch predator series you're you're on south park you're on whatever (laughs) tv show mad tv like was that weird for you it was a little bit at first you know i joke around my two older kids went to uh high school in connecticut and they went to a high school where kids dads did a lot of cool stuff yeah sports figures wall street figures Mm -hmm titans of industry so to have a dad on television wasn't a big deal until south park did a chris hansen predator episode then i was the cool dad yeah but um you know look it 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 comes with the territory uh i don't mind being made fun of or satirized if it brings attention to a very important topic and the reality of it is that all this attention and notoriety works in my favor as we do different stories on different topics it gives me access at whatever, virtually whatever law enforcement agency I need to mm-hmm. get somebody to do an interview to work on a very important story. It's sextortion, for instance. Yeah. Uh, the Tracy Hudson, a con woman case where um, uh, Jumana Kidd, the former wife of Jason Kidd, was built out of $3 million. I mean, that was a great NYPD case. They trust me to go in there and do an interview with their people. Right. They knew all I ask you know, important, hard questions, mm-hmm. but they, they, that whole experience and the notoriety from the predator investigation allows me to have the credibility to get what I need on a lot of different fronts yeah. for a lot of different, very important projects and stories. The, the popularity of the show because of the important work you're doing, I think is number one and the, the men going into custody and then not being able to do this to children. That is the number one reason why the show gained popularity and had the success it did. Um, Some of the the men that walked in, though, I think what they did, what they said, that helped the show go viral or grow and have an even bigger impact. What was, um, if I can ask this in a sensitive enough way, what was the craziest, weirdest thing you, you saw? I know there's... I think there's two guys that right. walked in naked. There's a guy you had the same day, or sorry, the day after. And that one for me was like, how this, this man. Well, it's insane. I mean, imagine a guy shows up naked and the decoy was playing kind of a cheeky role and, and brought, raised the issue. And so the guy did it. Right. And then the next day I hear all this commotion in the room where the perverted justice uh, contributors were working. And I go up there to see what's going on. They said, we remember the guy who walked in naked, John Canelli. I said, yeah, how could I forget? He said, well, he's in another chat room trying to hook up with another 13-year-old kid. I said, oh, my God, who does this? So there are moments like that. There are moments like you know, when a rabbi, a man of God, walks in. Right. There are moments when a doctor walks in. We had a doctor in a recent uh, investigation in Michigan, 61-year-old doctor, who was chatting with the decoy at his office as he saw 18 patients and then Jeez. sent a an obscene picture of himself 
in the course of his day seeing patients, a family practitioner who presumably sees young women as part of his practice. And then he walks in and he grabs the decoy from yeah. behind. And this is one of our recent episodes on True Blue. And it, it's shocking. And then he admits the whole thing. But this is a guy who's a doctor, 61 years old. Yeah. In mid-Michigan. And, and we've recently had a 70-year-old guy. And the, the episode I just told you about, this guy's 54. They come from all walks of life. You know, we had a guy who came in in the last investigation in Ohio who saw me after, you know, he stopped for milkshakes for the boy he was going to visit, and he got startled and it spilled all over the place, and he goes to sit down and on the couch, and I walk out, and he says, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing this. I'm Chris Hansen. I'm Chris Hansen. I'm Chris Hansen. Yeah. Don't you think that's going to go viral, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jeez. it's, it's, you know, every one we do, there's a memorable pop culture moment. Right. And I, I think that's the crazy thing to me. People still show up and still, but it shows the problem um, that is at hand. I want to go through the timeline of you at NBC to where you are now. Um, on your, we've talked a lot about uh, To Catch a Predator and the investigations you've done and the, and the great work you've done in your journalism career. Um, but your time at Dateline, when, when did you leave NBC? Left NBC in 2013. Okay. And then um, had a show for uh, a number of years, three years on um, investigation discovery. Did a um, syndicated crime show called Crime Watch Daily. Uh, produced and reported for a couple of documentaries on Discovery Plus, and then came True Blue. Yeah, and, and a great timing for it. You know? Yeah, no, it has exploded, and the content you're doing now, the shows, it just like we've talked about, it shows that this is still a problem. We need this programming. Um, when when you left NBC. Was there, um, was that hard for you when that had been something that was a big staple in your career for a long time? No, it was the next logical step. I mean, it was a situation where Dateline was getting away from doing the kinds of investigative things that I like to do. Yeah. Um, and it was becoming more of a murder procedural. And that's great. That's very popular and very important. Mm -hmm. and, and those guys are great friends of mine over there to this day. And I have the utmost respect for everybody at Dateline. But it was, it was just going in a different direction than what I was excited about. And so I had these other opportunities, the syndicated show mm -hmm. uh, and the Discovery Plus and um, all the things that came along since then. And I'm thankful that I had 21 years at NBC because right. I wouldn't have been able to do everything I've done since right. without that time. And, and that's the job that gave me the platform to do everything I've done since. So I'm grateful. And... and Look, it's, you know, everybody's on good terms. It was a, it was a wonderful experience. I yeah. mean, how often do you get to work in the same place for 21 years? Not many people can say that, yeah. or at least a place that they love doing yeah. the job that they do, and you were lucky enough to say and that. Look, everything evolves, everything changes. And so, you know, I had a brand that I was able to translate into something, ultimately at True Blue, where we own the content, we own the distribution of the content, we turn it around much quicker than we can anywhere mm -hmm. else. These two documentaries I did at Discovery Plus, again, love the Discovery people, but they were 18 months to uh, two years to, from start to finish. Right. The bureaucracy can kill you. Yeah. And I understand how it works, and I get it, but we do things now in a much quicker fashion. And, and from the time that I get an idea or somebody comes to me with a topic and the time it's actually on True Blue is... A month? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes less. 
Yeah, and the the turnaround time that that like we said helps raise awareness and gets out. The streaming world is like that. So if the most recent takedown episode is forty minutes, it's forty minutes. If it's twelve minutes, it's twelve minutes. It is what we deem it to be. Yeah, and that's I was going to ask you having that that this platform and having um, the background, the career you do. I have to imagine that you love having that creative freedom now because you're a co-founder in True Blue. Um, like we've mentioned, take down with Chris Hansen. It is very similar to the predator investigations you've done before, but I think it shows because if you left in what 2012, 2013 from NBC, I know you had done some investigations in between, but you're showing a new era of um, predator activity. Can you just walk us through what that's been like? Because there, there's different apps, there's different, you're, but you're seeing the same problem. There's so many more different apps uh, today than when we. I mean, imagine when we started at, at NBC, we merely had decoys in chat rooms on AOL and Yahoo. Yeah. Well, today, you can't even keep track of them. No. Every every week, and then I have you know law enforcement coming to me saying, "Hey, you know, these other guys you work with, do they use this or what? You know, how does that work?" And and you know, there are entire platforms that cater to guys who have a fetish for daddy daughter or mother daughter and Mm -hmm. and we see this we see these very specific conversations about people who are geared this way and when i interview them they'll talk about all the problems and why they got here and everything else and that's legit but still if i wasn't there right and there was a child there there would have been the rape of a child yeah these sexual exploitation and many times these guys come with the notion of you know documenting it on video or with photos and and that all feeds into the child pornography rings right and i think that just shows how important this work is and and it's it's very interesting to hear you describe the different situations and talk about um everything that's gone on over the years and that the same problems still exist um for you what have you learned the most about yourself throughout these past 20 30 years doing these investigations where it's the same career it's the same 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 type of investigation and work but you're growing up you're you're changing life's changing sure. you know in your personal life and different things what have you learned the most that's a great question and i suppose the thing i've learned the most is that you need to have a certain amount of patience in your work some intellectual integrity in your work some emotional maturity in your work. Anybody can jump out of the back room or from around the corner and create 10 seconds Mm -hmm. of dramatic video. My job is to be patient, to be thoughtful, to get inside this person's head and and try to understand it and by doing that prevent other people from becoming victims. And I think that maturity and that curiosity, whether it's a predator story or anything else, helps in the storytelling and makes it much more interesting to the people who watch. Have you had, and I know you've mentioned it, um, you had someone write to your podcast recently. Um, what has it been like hearing from, from parents or from uh, just people in the community that have watched your work and it has helped you know, them protect their kids, protect their family? Has that, is, it, is it hard to receive that? Is it interesting? No, it's, it's, What's gra- it? it's gratifying. I yeah. mean, in, in, in the, the relationship that I have with you know, loyal viewers and followers is very gratifying to me. I take it very personally. And when somebody writes an email, and I encourage people to do that to chris at predatorpodcast.com, I, I try to read every one of them. Mm-hmm. 
I got an email just the other day from a woman who told me that when she was a teenager, she met a guy online who said he was 18, still too old to have a sexual liaison right. with her. But it happened regardless. And she started binge-watching Predator episodes and figured out it was a guy who three years prior to that contact had been busted in the Riverside County, California investigation on the Predator series. Wow. And this guy is out there. So if he gets busted, is on television, faces criminal prosecution, and he's back out there doing the same thing again, and so she's going to do an interview with me probably in the next week or so. Wow. That is a... But uh, imagine that. Right. No, having but that's the sort of relationship that we have, and those those that's that may be an extreme example mm-hmm. of the people reaching out, but it's 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 a lot of times these things become future stories. Right, right, and I know that your investigations, unfortunately, they are a dark subject and things that um, a lot of people might have trouble talking about. Um, I want to flip the script just a little bit on to maybe a more bright sided conversation. Um, Favorite part of your career, things that you've got to do, accomplish, places go, people meet. Is there a couple things or anything that stands out about, about your career? Well, I think it's just been a, an amazing opportunity to see a lot of the world. Yeah. I mean, to go to West Africa on a story about Al-Qaeda dealing in blood diamonds to fund terrorism. Yeah. To go to Europe for, um, you know, the funeral of Princess Diana. Mm-hmm. To cover events that only happen once in a lifetime. Now, you know, admittedly, the events I covered tend to be crimes. Right. You know, 9-11, the Oklahoma City bombing. But, mm-hmm. but those opportunities allowed me to witness history. Yeah. Or hurricanes. Although, I'll tell you a funny story about hurricanes. The, the joke at NBC was, if you don't want the hurricane to hit your particular town, send Chris Hansen. Because no matter what we did, maps get pulled out, the center of the storm, the storm's going to hit here. Wherever I went, if I went to Mobile, the storm would hit Pensacola. If I went to you're the opposite magnet. Yeah, it just 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 it never had a full blown (laughs) hurricane on my watch. And your son Connor is now in news. I think he was in was he in Oklahoma City before? He was in Oklahoma. He started out in Northern Michigan. He then went to Oklahoma City. Now he's in Orlando, doing a great job there. And then your other son works in media as well. He's uh, behind the scenes working on a, a lot of different network crime shows and some independent films. He's in Brooklyn. And uh, it's fun because we get to have a, a call every once in a while where we criticize each other's hard work and give each other a hard time. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very proud of both of them. And uh, they're doing phenomenal work. And, you know, they, they did it on their own. You yeah. know, obviously they grew up around it. I think they found, you know, one on camera, one behind the camera, different parts of that world uh, fascinating. But they don't, you know, they don't rely on me. I mean, yeah. they, they, they'd rather not. You know, I'll get the call if right. it's like, hey, do you know somebody who were, you know, dealing with this? But, you know, they operate their own situations. I mean, I had the, my oldest son and I worked together on a couple of different shows, and it was a lot of fun. But, you know, he's got his own book. He does his own thing. That's got to be a hard um, tightrope to walk because you are Chris Hansen, and <laughs> they are your kids, but, like, you don't want to interfere. You want them to go no, earn it themselves they, and to live their own life. Yeah, and, and, and they're two very, you know, two kids who went to the same schools – ate the same meals, went on the same vacations, just two very different personalities. Yeah. And as a parent, you know, you, you have to figure that out and understand that, that not everybody wants to do exactly what you want them to do. Uh, and, and they're going to find their own paths. And, and I, I consider myself extraordinarily fortunate 
that both of them have and they're, you know, self-sufficient and successful and happy. And, and it's a, it's a joy as a father to mm-hmm. see that. And this is just completely random can of top of my head. Has there been somebody that you've been able to, to meet or do an interview with that, I don't know, is a bucket list? Like are there, are there places you've gone because of the success of your investigations that, you know, I have some very memorable interviews with people and the one that stands out who I thought was just an amazing human being and didn't come to appreciate it until after the interview, Colin Powell, when he was Secretary of State. Yeah. And just a wonderful human being, uh, a great guy who took time. And I'll, I'll tell you the quick story. We'd done a story on um, sex tourism in Cambodia. And we okay. infiltrated a brothel along with an NGO called the International Justice gotcha. Mission. And so we had producers and cameras go in there as American sex tourists and we explored Exposed the whole thing. Five, wow. six-year-old kids being exploited for sex. Jeez. Shocking. The local authorities raided, rescued 37 <clears throat> kids, went back and did a follow-up story four years later, and it was it was amazing, life-changing experience. Mm-hmm. And Colin Powell, as Secretary of State, had made this a mission to um, fight sex trafficking and sex tourism. And so he agreed to an interview. Yeah. And we did the interview, and he was to fly out the night of uh, the airing of the show. Oh, wow. And we had gotten him transcripts as a courtesy so he could read it on the plane over the entire story. He actually delayed the flight, the official U.S. government, yeah. Secretary of State jet, delayed it so he could watch the show on Dateline. Wow. Finished it and ran up the steps of the plane and took off. That is a really cool story, and you guys got to experience something very and, powerful and, together. Well, yeah, I know. It was, it was really quite something. And, and to this day, I still have Colin Powell's 13 Rules of Success on my dresser, which I refer to every morning. Wow. So I get ready. That's awesome. Um, I'll, I'll keep you here just for a couple more minutes. Um, do people get nervous when you walk in a room? Absolutely. They do. <laughs> I mean, like, I set up the cameras, and I was interviewing you. Yeah. I asked you to take a seat. No, so it was it's, like... It's, uh, <laughs> people... <laughs> And mostly it's, you know, good natured, you know, joking around, you know, what are you here? What are you doing here? Yeah. You know, or the joke is, how did you meet so-and-so? It was in Dark Kitchen in Cincinnati, you know, but um, <laughs> it was, um, it's, it's, people have over the years, whether being in a retail store or right. shopping for something and people are like, what is he doing? What is he up to? What's he trying to expose? But um, yeah, I mean, mostly, you know, people recognize you for the mm-hmm. work you've done, and, and they want to ch- chat about it for a minute. And, and I'll tell you, the, the, the really stirring thing to me has been that uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been out in public or out with my wife in public, and somebody say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And they'll tell you the story about how they were victimized as a child mm-hmm. and how this particular franchise, these stories, helped them take back some power watching the predators get busted. And to me, that's among the most gratifying things of all of this. I agree. And that has to be the coolest thing. And I experienced that on a very small level compared to your work. But, you know, I used to be out at bars and I don't drink anymore, but I used to be out and people would talk to me about this sporting event or this game, this player. And it turned into when I started this, this this podcast and this project was, Hey, um, I had some of these same thoughts. I saw this letter. It made me want to check in or, Hey, my, my brother committed suicide. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, it, I think it, when you can have those real life interactions. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're doing your part to change somebody's life for the better. And, and I applaud you for what you're doing because, you know, it's, it's, 
it's not always easy. Yeah. And it requires some self-examination that may not be comfortable for you. Sure. And some growth. You're a young man. You got a lot, a lot of things you can not, accomplish. Not, not that young. Yeah, but, yeah. Compared to me, you are. But, but my <laughs> point is, is that, you know, to find something that engages you intellectually and to uh, keep you curious about the world. Yeah. And people say, when are you going to retire? I said, well, <laughs> do what? Yeah. You know, what, you know I, I have hobbies. I, I like to... Uh, you know, to do a lot of different things, but I, I don't see retirement anytime soon. Yeah, you just keep I'm too engaged in it. Yeah, you know? and, and one like we just like we said earlier, you just started True Blue, yeah. and it's it's taken off. I want to give you you know some time to talk about that. The um, the show is just as um, enticing and empowering, and just brings you into your TV screen or your your phone screen as the To Catch Predator series, if not more, because like I mentioned, it is. 2022, 2023, um, what can people expect to see uh, coming up? Well, we've got uh, the continued series, uh, Takedown with Chris Hansen on True Blue. It's T-R-U-B-L-U. Watch TrueBlue.com for details. And we have just dozens of other enterprise crime documentaries Mm -hmm. that are about to come out, one of which is uh, The Facebook Fiend, this guy who has been on dating sites all around the country, meeting women, assaulting them physically, sexually, taking their money. And this guy was getting away with it for, for a decade. Wow. And I've got a laundry list of victims whom I've interviewed, and we exposed the guy, and now he's facing criminal charges in two different states and probably more to come. But it's because these survivors, these victims, felt empowered by coming to me and I could go tell their story. And again, here's what True Blue does that no one else can do, which is take a story like that from inception mm-hmm. to production in a matter of months right. to having it on True Blue. We're going to be doing a um, news magazine show called True Crime Nation okay. on True Blue. We're going to be doing some live shows. We've already experimented with that. And, right. and so there's much more to come. The podcast, Predators I've Caught, on all platforms, um, I go back and examine cases going back years sometimes. Where are they today? Uh, I go through the experience in a depth that I wasn't able to do in the moment. Right. So I go back and immerse myself into the video, into the transcripts of the chat, and, and, and talk about what happened and, and the surprising things that, that I found along the way, looking back, yeah. that I didn't know at the time. Right, and I think it's interesting for viewers and listeners to hear things you talk about from your perspective because we all watch it and we see certain things pick up on certain things but i'm sure you find new things each time you go back watch it or talk to somebody yeah and it's 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 you know you you talk about therapy i mean in a way the podcast is my therapy yeah really because i go back and relive this and understand it and you know experience some emotions i didn't have time to experience back when i was living the initial investigation right right um last thing i want to ask you is Usually I ask for, um, I might do a two-part here. Usually I ask my guests advice to somebody that wants to follow in their footsteps, go after an investigative journalism career, which I will definitely still ask you. Um, but because of your field of work and what you've done, and I know there's a lot of, of parents that listen to this, I'll, I'll give a two-parter. Advice for, for parents with, with kids that obviously are on the Snapchats, the, the dating apps, the, the, sure. the social medias of the world. I'll ask you that first. What advice do you give to them? Parents need to create an environment where a child can come to them and tell them what happened online. Early in the predator investigations, I had a dozen middle schoolers. Mm-hmm. And I said, show me a hand. How many of you have uh, had an adult approach them in an uncomfortable way? All raise your hands. How many of you told your parents to? Why not? 
we're afraid they take away the computer, the internet, the phone. Sextortion. I've sat with parents whose kids killed themselves because they thought a sexually explicit picture that they had given to someone they thought was a girl and yeah. ended up being a scam artist from half a world away in Western Africa. Right. They couldn't come to grips with the fact in their 15, 16-year-old mind that they were going to get through it. And wow. instead of talking to their parents about it, that mind is not developed enough to see past the initial issue. Yeah. And, and these kids have killed themselves. Straight A students, athletes, good kids. Mm -hmm. The better the kid, the more pressure it seems on them to, to perform, sadly yeah. take their own life. Yeah. And you know, you gotta have a mechanism for your kid to come to you and say, you know, I screwed up, this happened. And, and, and it, these weren't bad parents. These are some of the best parents you could ever right. want. Right. But the kid was just afraid to go do it. And so you have to initiate that conversation with them and say, look, come to me. Mm -hmm. We have a, you know, a policy here where if you do this, you're not going to get in trouble for it. Just let me know what's going on. We'll fix it together. Right. Every parent, as someone that has been through mental health issues since I was 14, um, every parent wants to be supportive. And when you're on the other side of it as a kid, you... Try to figure out. Yeah, can but sometimes I say this? sometimes I... you don't want to hear bad news, you right. know. And, and and you know, parents today are much better than parents were, you know, two generations ago. I mean, people are just more educated and more understanding. Mm -hmm. But you still have to be proactive and say, "Look, what's going on?" And you know, I want you to know that if this happens, you can come to me. Right. Guys are dopey at fifteen, sixteen. I know you're dopey at fifteen, sixteen. But yeah. if something happens to your dopey self. Yeah. Let's fix it. Fix it out or talk it out, fix it, figure out yep. a way to go. Um, all right. So now the second part of that advice to somebody that is an aspiring journalist, maybe they're in college, high school right now, want to follow your footsteps and go into that investigative journalism. Well, I, I think you just have to do it. You know, you have to commit to wanting to do it as a craft. You have to make sure that you are, you know, um, dedicated enough yeah. to get through it because you're not going to make a lot of money in the beginning. You know, it, it, it starts uh, at a very meager salary yeah. level and you work your way up and it can be extremely rewarding on the other side once you get through it. But you, you have to be committed to witnessing history, wanting to know the truth. You have to be intellectually, intellectually engaged and curious about the world. Yeah. And you have to not set limits on yourself, you know, and it's, it's a delicate balance if you're going to live a regular life with normal relationships, I mean, mm -hmm. you, you make sacrifices. Sure. Uh, a lot of mine came early in life, you know, and, and I worked and worked and worked and never left uh, an assignment because it was the end of an eight or 10 hour work day. Right. I didn't do that. I never took all my vacation time. Now that may not have been the healthiest approach, but you know, you figure it out along the way. And yeah. if you do start a family, then you can adjust. But you know, it, it, it requires a, a commitment. You have to live it. Mm -hmm. you, you have know. to love what you do. If you, you have to like journalism. it. You have to like it and you have to live it. Awesome. Well, Chris, you are an absolute legend. Brandon. And this has been Saints Front. Thanks for having me. I, appreciate I, uh, it. I have to say this on record, but it was very cool for me to ask you to have a seat and, yeah. it, <laughs> and get to experience this conversation with you. You're a hell of a journalist and it's been really fun. Con Thanks uh, for having, having me. No, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Next week, we'll see everybody right back here on The Mental Game. And what a great conversation that was with Chris. As you can tell, he still has that legendary voice you've heard on your TV for decades. Chris's new show, like we mentioned, is streaming now on his network, True Blue. It is Takedown with Chris Hansen. And these episodes show that 
the child predators, they're still out there, and this is a big, big problem, especially with the dating apps and all the social media platforms. It's a really intriguing, important show, and the journalism and the investigations he's doing with law enforcement, they're really compelling, and you can see why this is a big problem in our country. So I can't thank him enough for opening up about his career and his mental health. Go check out Takedown with Chris Hansen. Coming up next week is another big guest. I'm not telling you who it is. But it is an NFL head coach, and I can't wait to share that conversation with you right back here next week on The Mental Game.